I'm looking at how this post-social behavior of rats affecting the brain and immune system. Well, I'll try to explain it in simple. If a person is very lonely and has no one, his immune system is decreasing, and especially the antiviral immunity. His immune system thinks that he's all alone in, you know, in this island. It doesn't need this immune system to work. And it's not true because it is, with a lot of people, it's just feeling lonely, okay? So that, that subjective feeling of loneliness affects the immune system. We already know it in humans and in rats. And I already showed some, uh, some uh, findings that social isolation affects cancer growth, affects the immune system and affects badly uh, different areas in the brain. Hi there, welcome back to our podcast, What Are You Going to Do With That? by the Minerva Center for the Rule of Law Under Extreme Conditions at the University of Haifa. I am Dani and I am a PhD candidate chatting with early career researchers in the hope to gain some tips and tricks on how to get through my own academic journey. Today, our guest is Estherina Trachtenberg. Estherina started out at nursing school, has worked as a nurse coordinator at the Rambam Hospital in Haifa, and has eventually become a PhD candidate at the Sagol School of Neuroscience at Tel Aviv University, with already some publications and awards on her name. But before I introduce you to her, let me invite you to our social media accounts, which you will find with the handle at what to do with that, where the two is spelled like the number two. Connect with us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and let us know what you think. For some more tips and tricks, check out the blog on our website and the videos on our YouTube channel. And while you're at it, don't forget to subscribe and rate us on your favorite podcast app. Now, let me tell you all about Estherina Trachtenberg. Estherina was a registered nurse in Jerusalem and worked as a nurse coordinator in Haifa before she started a BA at the Department of Nursing at our university, the University of Haifa. At the same time, she was a youth science lecturer at the Technion, where she, following her BA, continued with an MSc at the Faculty of Medicine. During that time, she also managed to be a research associate at the Department of Psychology at Anglia Ruskin University at Cambridge. Since 2019, Estherina is a PhD candidate at the Sagol School of Neuroscience at Tel Aviv University, where she is also a teaching assistant at the School of Psychology Sciences. Estherina received a scholarship for a PhD project and already has four publications on her name. But that's not all. In addition, it is interesting to know that Estherina has volunteered as a nurse for six months in Nepal and is the founder and project manager of Lymphomia Survivors Support Groups in collaboration with the Israel Cancer Association, and lastly, has dedicated much of her time to SciCom. Welcome, Estherina. I've been looking forward to our chat. It's nice to talk to someone who's familiar with the University of Haifa and with someone who has experience both in industry and in academia. How are you doing? Hi, Dani. Haifa University is one of my most favorite places in Israel. There is a beautiful view and um, Agreed. for me to come and visit the university, I have such an amazing memories um, of being in this amazing mountain. You probably can uh, relate to that. Definitely. I wanted to say that we have something in common. <laughs> That's good. All right. I'm having my regular amaretto with me. I actually have a special version. It's called Velvet. So I'm very excited about this one. What are you having today? Um, I'm having a Pinot Grigio white wine. It's my mm. favorite. And as is uh, Shavuot today. Uh, right. You know, cheese and wine, white wine holiday. So I think it's very appropriate. Although it's quite early for me <laughs> to drink. But because it's a holiday, I am having my white wine already. We're allowed to. Cheers. Yes. Cheers. Oh, I like that sound. Of a new bottle. Such a cute bottle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like the small ones when I try something new. Mm, it's a bit more nutty in a way. This one. <laughs> I like the Pinot Grigio a lot too. That's one of my favorite white wines. Yeah. All right. Um, you said it is a bit early, but it's a holiday. Talking about earliness and mornings. What is the first thing that you do in the morning? 
Oh, so morning, it's not um, my favorite part of the day. I'm not a morning person. <laughs> Agreed. But uh, since I'm an adult and I need to go to the lab and also to take care of our dogs, so our mornings divides to either wake up very early and taking, um, we have uh, two dogs now for a walk, which I found actually help, helps me to, to have a better day. Okay. And if, if like, if instead of going straight to the lab, um, if I do this 40 minutes walk, it's actually, it's actually better. Although I, uh, you know, I'm tired and I want to sleep. <laughs> uh, usually I start with coffee. That's the first thing I do in the morning. And either go, you know, with the dogs or straight to the lab. Okay. How long have you had the dogs for? Is this something new in your routine? Yeah. So um, we we had a dog that we adopted um, when we came back from Cambridge, and okay. I studied the PhD. Uh, it was my biggest dream to have a dog. So we went to a shelter and we adopted this amazing big dog, very very energetic. And two weeks ago, we took another dog. You know, um, some really cool, beautiful female dogs that uh, had nowhere to go. She's Two also weeks. quite, uh, yes, she's quite energetic and we have a lot of um, hassle at the house, you know, with her. Mm. Uh, we really love, we really love her, but it's really hard. And, you know, do you have any dog? And they're both really big and it's a shelter dogs as well. Um, so, yeah. So, Reno, we have for two and a half years, like the same amount I'm doing my PhD, the same amount we have Reno. Okay. And, and Nova, we not adopted her officially, but she's with us um, for two weeks now. Okay, that's wonderful yeah. that you took shelter dogs and didn't buy any yes. breeding. Uh, no, it's yeah. very important for us. We both, um, you know, it's important for us to do a lot of volunteering work and 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 doing things for the world for for animals. So this is part of our belief, you know, how to make the world a little bit. Uh, better you know that's great and it's good to see that it's working out too mostly <laughs> <laughs> so far <laughs> yes all right i also mentioned that um you actually did a lot of psychom um both teaching yes. in front of classrooms but do you also use social yes. media for psychom outreach um so when i volunteered in madagadol baktana which is um, big little science it's a, a site communication, a charity NGO in Israel. We did a lot of, um, you know, posts and, and articles uh, on social media. Okay. But personally, I use um, only Twitter mm -hmm. to, you know, to talk about science, to talk about things that sit close to science. But, uh, you know, uh, besides that, not so much. Okay. Um, I also have one more short question. And that is, what do you wish people knew about nurses' work and studies that would help prejudices out of this world? So, very important question. I feel that there is a lot of people that when I say that I used to be a nurse, they're like, oh, you did a nursing school. They're not, um, you know, they, they sometimes think that nursing school is not very, you know, scientific and very strong as other backgrounds like biology. And they, they are um, partially right, but why partially? Um, because there is, there is shortage in nursing everywhere, not only in Israel, but in Israel we have a huge shortage. So they reduce the, the requirement to get into university, but it doesn't mean that the people who go to, to nursing school, the necessary people with, you know, lower scientific background. A lot of people are going later to, you know, um, graduate schools, PhD, are taking um, a deeper look at the scientific uh, studies. And it depends mainly on the person if he wants to. I think like it's probably the same like a person who go to biology no undergraduate, and he decides whether to continue and study more. So the opportunity are there, um, but there is people that are trying to, you know, to do the minimal just to get the um, 
you know, with the diploma and, and, and the job security, not necessarily interested in the, the, you know, the knowledge or the scientific background or, you know, medicine. But um, for me, when once I got to nursing school, for me, it was um, the, the beginning of a journey because I came from a background that I had no, you know, no basic uh, co-curriculum at all. I didn't have um, the basic school studies um, for kids because I, I, uh, I grew up in an ultra-Orthodox community. So for me, uh, once I could get to the university with my grades, I could get to, to nursing school. Okay. Uh, I, I got there and, and I couldn't, for example, I, I think I would probably want to, I was 19 back there, so I don't uh, remember exactly what I was thinking, but I think I wanted to go to medicine school, but I had no chance. Mm -hmm. And I really, really wanted to start university. So I started with what I, I, I knew that I could. I think if I knew that biology, for example, is also an option, but again, I didn't know uh, what I want back then. So. Right, so we already kind of started um, yes. about your journey, right? That's what you're saying. Yes. The nursing school was the first part of your journey. And you also yes. said you didn't maybe have um, the educational background um, because you are from you originally from an Orthodox community, yes. right? Um, so there's a different uh, educational system in place, focus on different subjects, right? Um, that you maybe, in addition to not having subjects related to getting you into medical school, you also didn't have the information about how to get to medical school, right? Which is why you didn't know that biology would have also been an option because no one told yes. you that. So there, it's not only about the educational background that you, maybe you then missed out on. Yes. It's also to, to know about um, academia, to know people, to mm -hmm. talk to people. I probably, I, I probably would do differently if someone gave me this, you know, um, basic, um, basic, uh, supervision or like advice or you know someone to talk to I think that is um, something that in my first years outside of the orthodox community I had no one to talk to or to you know um, to ask uh, to get any you know support mainly academic support mm -hmm. and how to fulfill my dreams and I think eventually I got um, where, where I am today, but if people ask me if I ever thought that I will be a PhD student, no, it's, it's a big surprise for me. Okay. I am, I'm surprised. I, I, I think uh, it's, it's, it's amazing like, to see how life um, brought me here. Like, I didn't see any other way because I felt this is the right place and the right thing to do. But it's okay. not like when I was 19, I said, mm, I'll become this uh, neuroscientist. No. Right. And here you are today. Yes. <laughs> this lack of knowledge of figuring out the journey and what path it is yes. going to be that you're going to take. That is something that I've discussed uh, with more people who are first gen, right? First generation <laughs> in mm -hmm. academia. Um, so, so that is not something that only you went through, but we see it in a lot of uh, people from different backgrounds as well. And I also uh, didn't know that much about academia and my parents have not been to university. So when someone said, oh, do you want to do a PhD? We have a scholarship. I was like, I don't know what it is, but I'm interested. <laughs> and that's how I got to where I am now too. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. that's So, so I think in, in my case, it's even even worse like more extreme yeah. so my parents um they came from russia and they become religious here my parents actually okay. both from academia my my father oh. was uh like uh, i think he had phd and mathematics and physics i'm not sure and then when he converted to become this ultra orthodox he went to the extreme and he was um you know denying me to 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 go to any of this like he said, like the, the the thing was like I wanted to go to university. I I I 
I studied in Beit Yaakov. Beit Yaakov is a ultra-orthodox, a separated system. They intentionally do not teach any skills that will give a religious girl the option to go oh, somewhere so. out, you know. Mm. Today, they teach them this diplomas and different, like it's a whole story. We can talk about it for hours. I won't get into <laughs> the ultra-orthodox ultra um, system, but for me, when I was 16 and I knew that I would like to go to the university, I knew that I want to study something in medicine, the, the, the human body. I knew that I'm interested. I was reading books at a very young age. And I was, um, you can say I was a researcher and a skeptic <laughs> since I was three because I asked questions and I was reading a lot. And I was very annoying as a child asking all the time. So when I was 16, I said, I want to go to the university. My parents and my, my school, my high school, they were all against me because this was a very rebellious thing to do and forbidden. So for me, it was the other way around. Like, it's not even I can consult with someone. It's not like my parents, oh, if they do not understand university, no, I cannot talk to them. I need to keep it as a secret. And once I left the house at 70 years old, I could pursue this dream and go and, and complete all the tests all by myself um, and, and then I could get to university. But the thing is like with my parents, they were so against it. So not having someone to consult or talk and also knowing that they are against what you're doing and they're really, you know, not happy with you. Right. So it's very extreme. Right? Yes. Yeah. So, so for me, it was like um, now academia is like home for me. I, I can see how like I feel that my my you know I am accepted as I am, like asking questions, digging, skepticism, all this um all these values are welcome. But as a young, you know, as a young girl it wasn't welcome at all. Like um it was a very problematic behavior. <laughs> And it's already so hard to be a teenager. And then with all of these extra layers to it, I'm sorry to hear that you had to go through that. But I'm also glad to see that you got to where you are today. Uh, so I do have some more questions on how you got there. Uh, you said, right, that we started out with nursing school um, and that you were interested in, in studying more. But first you worked for a while as a nurse, both in Jerusalem, as a nurse coordinator, also in Haifa, in a hospital and you even worked or volunteered, I have to say, as a nurse in uh, in Nepal. Nepal, yes. right? How did she yes. get there? I just wanted to. Um, so the volunteering is part of me also since I'm very young. It was very important for me. Someone asked me uh, when that this bag started. Like, when did you become this? So I said, since I was very young, it was, you know, if I see injustice, I needed to fight against it. So even when I was in the Orthodox world, I knew that I want to volunteer. So when I was in the nursing school, it was a um, very intense period because, um, you know, I needed to work, I needed to study, I needed to pay for my university, and I couldn't volunteer enough. Mm -hmm. Then after I finished my diploma and I started working as a nurse, I was uh, looking for places to volunteer. And I got to this amazing, amazing um, organization. It's in Israeli. It's Jewish, Israeli, American organization, Tevel Betzedek. Mm -hmm. um, right. I don't know if you heard of him, but they are amazing, amazing people, especially that they taught me everything about social injustice and, and, and you know, um, how to actually do uh, volunteering and not all, you know, there is a lot of problems with, doing any you know volunteering work and and I, again it's something we can talk about for hours but let's say that this organization taught me so much um and and actually changed my life okay. and i started to volunteer in this uh, rural area in nepal in the first month they teach us nepali they teach us um like actually speak in nepali they teach us all the background you need about a social injustice, mm -hmm. about human rights, about everything. And again, like um, what I learned, it's it's following me till today. And it was almost 10 years ago. Like even 
the pollution, the climate change, all the plastic usage, everything. Like this very, very fundamental experience for me. So what I did, I was um, in charge of this whole health uh, education. We, we taught them different, you know, CPR with kids, different staff also worked on with women about different issues, um, you know, uh, violence, mm. alcoholism, everything. Um, we do everything. We lived in this uh, house without running water, without... Uh, wow. I don't remember we had electricity or not very proper, but it was uh, living in extreme condition, something that these days as an older person, I don't know if I can do it, but it was a very amazing experience and, and, and um, life-changing. Um, and, and, and then I came back to Israel and, and uh, went uh, working in Rambam in Haifa. I had a relationship in Haifa. I, I, because I lived in Jerusalem until then. Before that, yeah. Yes, yes. And, and I moved to Haifa, and actually the, um, um, the opportunity I got to work in the matology department, it was because of my volunteering. Okay. Someone heard um, some men, like some very, you know, you know high, uh, high rank uh, nurse, the hospital said, I want her, although I was the youngest nurse ever recruited to this department and wow. without any you know uh, experience so very quickly also you know start getting more um you know responsibility and i initiated this volunteering with um lymphoma uh, uh, recovering people mm-hmm. which i found so one of the things i do if i found a problem i need to fix it I'm like, oh, there is no a support group for people who recover from lymphoma. They are young. Usually, lymphoma is a disease that uh, usually people, when they get there, they are at 30. Okay. Uh, Hodgkin lymphoma, uh, non-Hodgkin lymphoma, it's a young, a, a young uh, cancer. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing like, because. Right. But uh, it's occurring in young people and, and they need a lot of support after they are recovering because then they have a lot of mental health issues and a lot of anxiety. It's a traumatic experience yes. for them. Yeah. yeah, and they're going home without anything, like nothing. Even now, a lot of um, centers, uh, they don't have any, any, you know, any address for these issues. So with, uh, with the organization named Hamab Sartan, which is the Israeli organization, yeah, very famous of fighting cancer. So they helped me with money and 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 giving you know recruiting uh, all the things we need. But uh, we started uh, this you know support group lectures and it ran for the whole year. And uh, yeah, very so cool. this is what I did. Yeah, this is what I did uh, while working. It sounds that you were building a very nice career that even not only the Nepal experience was a life-changing experience, but it also helped you to continue um, maybe even for the better in your career when you came back to Haifa and worked in, worked in the hospital there. And that you were able, in a way, like you said, like if I see a problem, I want to fix it, that you were actually able to also do concrete things, right? Which is not always possible in a system, yes. uh, which is something yes. we talk about we talk about academia on this podcast a lot as well. But then the question obviously is, if you were able to do all of that in your job, and it sounds very interesting, what made you go to the university and to study again? So, uh, you know, when I left, um, I left my, my job to, to, to become a full-time student at the Technion, a lot of people told me that I'm stupid okay. um, because I have a very good uh, career path. Yeah, they just said people Israeli stupid. are very direct. Yes, why are you doing that? You're so stupid. Um, because I was in this acceleration. Because in a few years, I could get um, to be a vice, you know, head nurse and then head nurse very quickly because I already wow. had so many responsibilities. And if I w- wanted, I could be very fast in the head, like ahead of the department. And and I although I enjoyed my, my work very much and I did a lot of volunteering, I wasn't suffering a day. It was hard mentally and physically, 
I felt that I got to this glass ceiling very fast. Okay. In nursing school, when I did my BA, I needed to complete courses at the Haifa University. I sat in the classroom and I was interested, how can I expand my knowledge, my scientific knowledge? When I got in the like, study a course, I always started to read more papers, ask more questions. Once I finished my BA, I felt hungry. I felt, um, you know, that I, like, I have a rush. Like, I, need, I need to learn more. I need, like, I couldn't sit still. And I, I realized that the things I'm interested in, uh, it won't be enough in nursing department because I, I want to do actual science. I want to understand the biological pathways. I want to understand mm -hmm. and to research you know, the fundamental, um, you know, biology, neurobiology. And the research I did in the master's student, it actually came from my work. Um, but I, I, I went to the Technion and very surprisingly, I got accepted to this uh, Magister um, program. Why was it surprising? Because usually um, people from nursing school are not easily accepted to these programs, okay. to, to medicine, medical sciences, to, to neuro without any requirements as well. You know, I didn't need to do anything. I don't know how it happened, but maybe they were impressed. I don't know, but I was surprised. And the other thing they told me, if you want to do it, you have to do, if you have to commit for five times a day, and you can't continue working because then you won't get any scholarship. Hmm. If you want to get a scholarship, you have to decide. So I realized that if I want to do it good, I need to do it 100%. Right. So I, did, I made the decision of leaving my, my job and my salary that uh, once I started at the Technion, it reduces almost in half. Hmm. So I become poor again. <laughs> it's hard to um, at least, right? Yes, it was hard. But again, I was so determined and so interested. And actually, my topic was, is the effect of chemotherapy um, in, in, in a young patient or is there on the cognitive changes. When I was okay. working with lymphoma patients, I just, I, uh, they, they, they reported that they have this cognitive deterioration. And I went to the literature and I found that there is this, there is phenomena called chemo brain but there is no young cancer patient that been tested that okay. like there were no studies. So I came to my supervisor and, and I, once I got to the technician, I said, I want to study that. And like how you can study something you never, you know, did, you never studied neuropsychology, neurocognition. It's an right. all new um, field for me, but um, I wasn't even, scared for a bit because I started so many things from scratch. So the, the first uh, six months of uh, my master's, my master's study was uh, doing a lot of learning and working this um, very, very nice uh, institute, one of the best institute um, in Israel for cognitive, um, cognitive impairments. All right. And I, I, I did a lot of testing on different, you know, old people, young people. And I, I, you know, I learned how I, I learned how to do it. And I started uh, doing my study with my patient. And actually, yeah. surprisingly, again, I don't know why I'm always surprised. It was very successful. And it's, 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 it's sad because we found the problem. We found the problem that they never noticed before, never. Like, so the research was successful, studied. but the conclusion but the, was sad, yes, but it's maybe it's not that sad because people with with these complaints now can tell to the doctors, or the doctors know that it's not in their imagination. Right. There is a real thing. You can treat it. You can, you know, you can you know give them the recognition. You you're not uh, mentally ill. You have a cognitive deterioration due to the the chemotherapy. So it's important. Mm -hmm. It's a very important, uh, you know. Uh, I think a very important thing to find, but the main problem started that I got to the Technion and I started learning a real medicine. Like I was at the medical school, I got all the courses and I flourished. Like I felt in uh, 
finally I got to my uh, I got home courses I, en I enjoyed every moment of it I wasn't the student that complains I, okay. I it's like I was like I feel like I was small flower and then I became this huge a lot of flowers like all the mm -hmm. all this academic uh, knowledge all this uh, science just made me you know so happy and without and even I, I knowing feel... that that maybe was what you were looking for you have now found yes. it <laughs> yeah exactly and also i found um the topic i am very into now because I, i i met this professors and this topic that it's called um psychoneuroimmunology it's a relation between our feelings emotion, behavior, and brain and immune system. In simpler words, if you are depressed, if you are uh, unhappy with your life, your immune system is, is decreasing, is working unhappy. But if you are happy and active and, and, and you know, motivated, your immune system is, uh, is boosted. So this is how I got to my uh, current studying. Right, so you rolled from the MA right into the PhD. Yes, M MSc. Um, so I had a, a quick stop between the MSc and 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 the PhD. I I went to Cambridge. That's the next thing I wanted to ask you. I was almost like I'm going to stop you because I still want to ask about your um, um, study abroad as research associate, which is in the Department of Psychology. Right. So is that cognitive. different? It's a okay. cognitive. It's, it actually was pretty much the same what I did. So I don't know if you're familiar with the term uh, two-body problem. It's an academic term that uh, you have a partner and you needed to do some academic uh, job elsewhere. So two-body problem. You have partners. I, it's a very common uh, term in my husband's field. Uh, he's astrophysicist. And he okay. got um, this uh, uh, opportunity to do a postdoc in uh, in Cambridge. Wow! And yes, and uh, I was supposed to start my PhD, but I realized that I am in love with him, and also this is amazing opportunity. So I said yes, and I came came along. And it took me time to find uh, this job, but I did. I was very lucky. And I started working with this amazing researcher. It's also cognitive science. Um, it's Department of Psychology, but it's a cognitive science. And we are, we were studying OCD and ADHD subject. Wow. So yes, and it was very fun and very interesting. And we even published a, a paper. She published a huge paper recently. Did this experience also add any value to you because you just told me a problem that I have as well that I didn't have a name for before what did you say the two bodies problem the two body problem the okay two body problem so I have the same thing right because I'm in Germany right now as part of my research and I dragged my yes. husband with me <laughs> yes. so I didn't know I had this issue but now it has a name so that's really nice uh, but while he's here he's also like looking for a job you know he's also doing uh, what will advance his career. So you said that yes. you went with uh, the other body. Abishai, yes. Yes. <laughs> to Cambridge. <laughs> the other body, yeah. <laughs> But, and, and what did uh, that time in Cambridge give you? So actually a lot. Um, so first of all, I think the most important thing that I realized that I, I, I would like to to move After my I finished my PhD, I realized okay. there is amazing places to live, amazing opportunity out there. I don't know if it um, it was the same if I like did you know immediately my PhD and then to move after. It's, it's so it's scarier, but because I already did it, I think I, I know that I want to do it. I want to find a postdoc. I want to find a place, and also um, I fell in love in Cambridge because it uh, looks like a place, I don't know if you've been there, but it looks like a place from Harry Potter right. uh, book I heard scenery. Um, it's very beautiful. It's very amazing. And the opportunities that I had to participate in, I had, I, I went to several conferences in Cambridge University. Mm -hmm. I worked at Anglia Raskin University, but they work together very closely. And my boss had affiliation both in Cambridge. 
So the opportunity to learn from the big league or the biggest league, let's, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. And also, I was uh, I applied for PhD and I got accepted in the first time. Uh, I, like, I, I didn't uh, continue, but I could go. And it was very strong boost to my, my uh, you know, my confidence right. that I can handle the big league because I, 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 I still have this, you know, um, that the feeling that I'm not good enough because I came from a different background because I, 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 I didn't grow up and, you know, in a right family. I didn't do the right um, bachelor's degree. So I always feel this, maybe it's in my head, but I feel this gap that everyone is, they know, they know more, they probably, uh, I don't know, especially that my students I'm teaching, they actually, all of them had better grades, better options, you know. It, it gave me a huge boost to my confidence because I worked at the university. I ran my research. I invented some, you know, uh, different paradigms. I did things that gave me this actual experience as a researcher. Um, and, and this not official studying of conferences from my my my, uh, my boss Sharon Sharon Morin she gave me a lot she taught me taught me a lot even though again I was just working with her right. so if people ask me if uh, should I or shouldn't I take a stop you know a stop between masters and PhD work somewhere if they want to do it I, I'll tell them yes do it. You will always be able to go back to, to academia. Okay. And if you feel like you want to go, do it, because I think it's an amazing opportunity. Right. And like you said, it did give you a lot. It wasn't just yes. following a partner or another no. body somewhere else. You do get the experiences and other things. I briefly heard you say that you did apply for a PhD position there as well, and that you were actually supposed to start your PhD even before you left. Yes. Um, so my question is, when did you decide that you wanted to pursue a PhD, and and where did you apply? Why did you stop in Cambridge? Why did you continue where you are where you are now? Uh, so uh, I had no doubts that I'm continuing for my PhD when I did the masters. Uh, I could do a direct PhD, but I wanted to do a different topic, the psychoneuroimmunology that I'm doing today. Mm-hmm. So I met Avishai in my last year of master's, my husband. So I could, I could, you know, continue straight, but because of him or thanks <laughs> to him, thanks to him, I, I said, okay, let's go to Cambridge. I was talking to some researcher already at the Technion and I want like, and then I said, okay, I'm going to England and let, let's talk when I'm back. And uh, in, in Cambridge, uh, we didn't know if we can stay or not. Right. So I applied anyway to this amazing program at uh, Cambridge University. And there was like, like the first round of interview mm-hmm. I passed. And then we realized that, again, thanks to Avishai, we need to go back okay. <laughs> because he had some, uh, some things to do here. And... I had um, the option to apply to the Sagol School uh, of Neuroscience, which considered to be a very, very good program and like excellency, and they gave a very good scholarship. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's important to get, you know, to, to get a good scholarship. So I found this uh, researcher that uh, the, the, the professor that I met on my master's degree, she told me you need to go to this professor, Professor Shamgar Ben Eliyahu, which I'm at his lab today. I have two, P, two uh, PIs. It's important to talk about it. Okay. And, and I think, I, think uh, I called him from England and we kind of had interview. And he said, okay, you are coming to my lab. I, I came to Israel for the interview and I got accepted and I started as a PhD. Yay. It was easy, easy, easy peasy. I, I, I didn't even, uh, you know, I didn't interviewed much. Uh, I knew what I wanted and was very, very, very lucky because he knew the professor I was talking to and she probably gave a good word or something. And Right. Well, you can say that you were lucky. I understand that. And I heard that before. 
Um, and there is something <laughs> like being at the right time in the right place. Otherwise, things also just don't really work out. Um, but it's not really luck, right? You worked really hard for it. This other professor was happy to recommend you because mm-hmm. she knew that you were the right person for it because of your hard work before, right? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> a hard work is something that I can say easily about myself. I'm a very hard worker. Like, mm-hmm. I, 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 I even, even didn't realize that you can hard even, you can work even harder at, at the PhD. I work in harder than I, I worked before. Like it's wow. increasing <laughs> that the <laughs> amount of work you can do. It's increasing. It's never ending. Hard and, work. Uh, yes. So you actually receive a scholarship, as you said, uh, at the Sokol School yes. of Neuroscience, which is at Tel Aviv I University. I got uh, another scholarship, um, like uh, uh, from outside, like uh, okay. a Milner Foundation scholarship. Nice. Uh, my the Sagol schools they uh, uh, I don't know they submitted they submitted my my name and I got the, another scholarship which is like even I'm better kind of right yes <laughs> nice uh, so having this scholarship and being with a professor that is happy to have you thanks to the recommendations. Yes. Uh, you're working on a research project that you are very interested in. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about the research and what you're doing right now? So I'll start from the beginning um, because I think it's important to know that even though I got everything I dreamed of, I started something new that I never did before. I never worked in the wet lab. I never uh, held any animals before. That's what a wet lab is? Yes. Wet lab, it's where you do biology and animal studies. All my research project on animal models, because I would like to learn the, you know, the biology, the mechanism behind it. So the first six months was so hard. I cried a lot. I didn't know if it's the right thing for me, because as a conscious person, it's hard for me to do this, you know, experiment on animals. Right. And it's it's it wasn't easy for me at all. And I met uh, the, my second PI in Balbertal, which is a very amazing person and, and someone that I, I am looking up to because Professor Shamgar is older. Like he was her PI. It's a very interesting story by itself. She opened a new lab like six months after I started my PhD. We met because we had this mutual interest. We, in, we are both interested of, uh, uh, of how the social environment affects the brain immune system, okay? How okay. your relationships, how your friendship or how your social status affects your immune system, which is wow. something that very, you know, um, uh, become very uh, relevant during COVID. Although I started it before, I started doing... Um, uh, this experiment on social isolation. So this uh, uh, Shamgar uh, and Inbal, the both uh, my supervisor, he is expert in the more immune and stress component, and she's mm-hmm. expert in pro-social behavior in rats. She established okay. a school paradigm of cute rats that helping each other, empathy in rats. If anyone interested, it's one of the most cutest ever thing to see how one rat helping other rats. You can Google or okay. YouTube empathy in rat, it's amazing. And this is what I do. Now I am playing with rats, so it's so much nicer. Um, <laughs> with nice do rats this, that uh, help each other. Nice rats that help each other. And what I'm doing that I'm looking at how this post-social behavior of rats affecting the brain and immune system. And I'll try to explain it in simple. If a person is very lonely and has no one, his immune system is decreasing, and especially the antiviral immunity. His immune system thinks that he's all alone in, you know, in this island. It doesn't need this immune system to work. And it's not true because he is with a lot of people, he's just feeling lonely, okay? So mm-hmm. that, that subjective feeling of loneliness affects the immune system. We already know it in humans okay. and in rats. And I already showed some, uh, some uh, findings that... In, Social isolation 
affects cancer growth, affects the immune system, and affects badly uh, different areas in the brain. But as we want to do something more positive and more, you know, um, showing the world the other side, so we look how how the helping, yeah, how if rat helping to another rat, how it's affect the immune system, you know, in the positive effect. We know that social connection, social interaction, increasing different um, uh, different neuropeptides in the brain. For example, oxytocin. You know, uh, oxytocin is, um, it's, you know, the love hormone. I think a lot of people, even at home neuroscience, know it. And we know that oxytocin is increasing different, um, you know, pathways in the immune system. Like it's, it's, it's affect positively the immune system in the brain. So what we are studying, this, um, this area of how the social environment affects the immune system. Wow. And not only in a, in a bad way, but also in a positive way. Yes. I like that. So we, we did in the negative way, we did it. Um, I'm continuing uh, looking deeper at the, you know, the biological mechanism, the neurobiology of how social isolation affects the immune system. But we are interested also and to understand and we are studying the positive effect. Cool. Are you also, are some of your publications already on that? Or was that about former research that you've done with your masters? Uh, so I, I, I don't have a publication for my PhD yet. Um, only you know, uh, posters or uh, abstracts in, in, in conferences. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, hopefully in the future I will have. Are you uh, doing a publication uh, PhD or are you writing a dissertation? I have no idea. I have two and a half years and we have options. If you have three papers, you can do this. Mm-hmm. this is, I, I actually haven't thought about it yet you have time to I am decide very focused yeah i'm very focused on uh, getting more experiment and doing more project and i have so so many plans so right and you're also busy with a lot of other things except for only the lab um and the phd because you're also a teaching assistant right yes um i'm also a teaching assistant and i'm also um uh, it's very, I, i'm volunteering i'm actually this is, although I'm very, very busy, it's very important for me to to take some time uh, to volunteer. So I'm volunteering now on three different things. It's happened okay. that way because um, I wasn't planning on volunteering as a visit Ukraine and refugees, but because of the war, I started um, helping this uh, a project here in Israel. Um, I'm helping in this uh, center and also uh, to individual people with everything they need. I speak Russian, which is a very helpful. So um, okay. between two to four hours a week. And I'm volunteering in Rala, Physician for Human Rights. Okay. Um, it's a very important um, organization that works with um, all the, the people in Israel that have no, um, you know, not they don't have the. They're lacking of their uh, rights for like medications, uh, cancer patients from different backgrounds. If it's refugees or people from Gaza and, and more. Mm-hmm. And the the third is a out for change, which I'm uh, volunteering since th- 2013. I was part of the people who established this organization. We are helping people that are living the Orthodox community. Um, we help them to pursue academia, a, 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 you know, diploma, a, everything they need, like all the, the things that they didn't, uh, they didn't uh, get when they were, um, when they were in the Orthodox community, like all the gaps. The things that we talked about in the start, that is not only the education, but also the knowledge of, of trying to figure out what yes. to do next. Right? Everything, everything. Um, it's, I, I am a mentor. I, it's, it's giving them advice. It's help. Actually, it's amazing that I see that I'm doing what I I needed to have the girl or finished her um, all those exams. And she talks to me what should she study. 
and what better to do, which of the courses to take, this exactly mentorship I needed when I was 19. Mm. So I'm doing the same to this girl that's starting her university journey next year. And she started with nothing, so. Right, and you know, yeah. out of your own experience, uh, what yes. she needs to hear and, and what she wants to know and what she's looking for. Oh, I can ask other people. I know who to, who to ask now. Right. Uh, but yeah, and we have like a very strong network and, and group of support. And again, 10 years in academia, it's a... It's it, it's also a lot that you can make. So you managed yes. to you managed to do a PhD, work in the lab, do publications, make abstracts and posters for conferences, and also volunteer in three different places. And you're also doing some psychom. Not all at once. It's 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 some weeks there is more than that. It's important. I am not a, a superwoman. Little not bit. all at once, but yes. A little bit you are. Yes, I don't know about that. I'm very tired uh, all the time. I, I think that super uh, women are probably uh, full on energy, you know. Um, <laughs> a psychom, I haven't actually done for the last six months. I need to okay. be honest. I did it very intensively um, in, uh, in when I was in England in my first year and a half uh, of the PhD. Uh, now other things came, you know, I did a lot. I published, um, I, I can't count, but some articles. Uh, yeah. That's very cool. Still, even though you didn't do it all at the same time, it was a lot. Uh, what kind of psychom work did you do? I know that um, that's a little bit how you got in touch with Ido, with our editor mm -hmm. and producer. You had a project with him on Twitter too, right? Yes. So I didn't uh, think about it as a psychom. I don't know why, because it came uh, in a different way. Uh, it, it, I'm thinking about it more like um, the mental health in academia. Right. So this project came from the idea that I, I was everyone complaining on Twitter all the time. And I feel that I'm so lucky and I am so blessed to have the opportunity to study and work on what I'm, I desire. Because in the end of the day, I have no bosses. I do let's say 50% of what I want. I'm pursuing my interests, my desires, what I'm dreaming of. Like I have supervisors that tell me what to do and, and they ask me to do things, but I chose them too. Mm -hmm. And I am in what I do because of what I want. Like it's for me as a person who um, survived and, 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 and fought for so many things, to be in academia, it's a blessing and people are complaining all the time. So I uh, texted Ido and said, let's do a, a gratitude project. Let's say what I'm thankful, like let's stop and think what are we happy about in academia. Mm -hmm. So oh I did God. it for myself and for my friends and uh, my husband also um, participated. I think you are too. And it, I think okay. it gave people a moment to think, wait, what I am grateful about in academia because there is so many amazing things for example going abroad for fun for mm -hmm. conference and it's paid that was what i wrote yes <laughs> what i, I was never that. <laughs> that's why I, why i said it so <laughs> that, that came from that so for me it's not the science communication it's more like how you know to be grateful to be you know because i believe that mental health It's also a mindset. It's also how you, 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 you know, you need to work on it. Like you go into the gym to become stronger. So you need to work on your mental health. You need to work on your mindset to become mentally stronger. We are talking about it all the time with my husband. How we, we do stress. What are we doing to become happier, better people? You know, it's, it's very important because in this, in this, um, pursuing of you know the next uh, experiment the next abstract you can forget the essence of life the essence of life it's not having another paper you know that we have uh, on the in my husband's uh, workroom office uh, in Hebrew it says papers are not the most important things in life you know having oh. more papers because I think that we need to enjoy science 
We need to enjoy having PhD. Yeah, I think it's very important to also appreciate um, what you have. Um, and even though I'm struggling with things here and there, and I also feel the pressure of publish or perish, which is what you're talking about, right? Like papers aren't the most important thing. But then if you want tenure, then you feel the pressure as well. Um, I do also really appreciate that I'm here in Germany now and that my husband was able to come with me and I'm getting a scholarship for it and I'm doing a research project that I chose, that I was interested in, that I wanted to know more about. Um, and I, I don't think that will ever come back, right? That opportunity is something that's never going to present itself again. Um, so I'm trying to get the most out of it that I can. Um, and maybe you're right. Yeah, if I if I think about it in a more positive sense more often, that definitely helps with how I feel as well. So I like that. Yeah. All right. Um, having said all of that about the PhD research and being grateful uh, for the good things that it brings you, have you thought about, even though you still have two and a half years left and maybe, yes. you know, we all get a little bit delayed sometimes, maybe even more, um, have you thought about what is going to happen afterwards? Because the most important question of this podcast, obviously, is what are you going to do with that? So I, I, I do think about it. I don't know how exactly I'm going to do it, but I want to do research. And I want to use research to make the world a better place. I know it sounds, you know, very maybe megalomanic or something, but no, like in a small step, I want to, I want to study how we, we can help humanity, how we can help people to have a better life, for example, maybe to show them that volunteering can help your immune system, can right. help you become healthier, stronger as a person, as a, like physically, emotionally and all. So I think I'm going to do postdoc because this is a natural way to do it. I don't know about what I will do afterwards because I don't know. I, I can't see myself as a PI, but maybe as I, maybe as I haven't seen myself as a PhD, maybe I will be a PI one day. I don't know, because in in if if you ask me, I want someone to give me a lot of money, and I'll do a lot of research. Very simple, but it's not worth <laughs> my, you know. So we'll see how I'll manage to do it. I just want to do research, but with volunteering with giving back to the community with this connection to to the doing you know um something that are connected to you know right so it's a little bit from what i hear from this side a continuation of what you're doing now as much yes. as possible so do you Definitely. think that would be in academia would it have to be research in academia or could it also be something in industry or in ngos for example I, I think I know now that today you have more opportunity to do research, not in academia only. You have different um, institutes that researching, for example, happiness that I'm familiar with or longevity or, you know, different institutes that can give you this opportunity to do research on the topics I'm interested in. So it's not necessary academia, although I love the opportunity that academia gives you because you can mm -hmm. participate in, in conference and you have a lot of, you know, I, I don't know how it's outside an institute or in industry, but um, whatever I will find, I think I would like to continue with research, whether it's academia, some institute, NGO, industry. And I already, um, I gave up on doing money because I realized that, um, hmm. This is not part of my goals. I would like to have, you know, good life because, you know, I like hiking and traveling. Right. And I like uh, drinking good wine. So. <laughs> <laughs> and to be honest, for volunteering, uh, you also need money and time because if you put your time into work that's not paid, you need to be able to do that. Yes. Right. And, and yes. you also need a good salary to be able to, to spend some other time and efforts to, to help yes. others out. So it's uh, it's not that easy, and, and money does matter uh, at some point. Yes, and I don't 
have to be rich or a millionaire. I, I, I want to be comfortable and also I mm-hmm. like to help other people with my money. And I feel like this, uh, you know, until today, I, I'm, I'm quite fortunate I can volunteer and I'm not into the survival mode. I can do other things and I am very well fed. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I have friends that say want to go and work in this uh, the most, uh, you know, uh, coolest job that gives you a lot of money. No, it's not part of my goals. I want mm-hmm. to be comfortable, but I want to do what I love. It's more, right. much, much more important for me. Sounds like a good idea. Uh, my mom, to quote her, always says, yes. do what, you're, what you like, because then you'll be good at it and the money would follow where you're good. Yes, <laughs> it's, it's working. It's quite, um, it's quite right, I'm, you know. I'm keeping my fingers crossed for it to keep working. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Yes. <laughs> All right, well, thanks for sharing your academic Thank journey you. so far. I have a few more short questions that I want to over, go over briefly, and then we'll wrap up. All right, what do you consider to be your most important contribution to your field and that is so far right because there's a lot left to do wow it's a it's a very interesting question um i i don't have enough confidence to say my most uh, contribution so far i feel so far so there is my master's degree that i know i uh, i did some change and Mm -hmm. i added some knowledge that nobody uh, knew before and in a micro scale I know that sometimes in the lab my ideas and my values are changing the way of people how they think even if are not even if they don't know that oh it's a Sterina's idea I see that my PI thinking a little differently and now it's agreeing to something that a year ago we did not agree with okay so this is like a small like whoa and change the course of how the field here in our small lab working. So in the ma- in the macro scale, yeah, my two papers from my master degree changed probably more than I understand because I know that people from around the world get the recognition of their problems and, right. and it's probably contributed a lot. So I will stop and say thank you to myself that it happened. But in my PhD, it's more like the, the micro that's right. changing the way of how people look at science. So so you can see the impact of it. And that's very cool. Yes. In this small uh, microcosmos of our lab, yes. Mm-hmm. Which it is, a cosmos on its own. Yes. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I've heard that, yeah. Who has impressed you most with what they have accomplished? So um, I... Usually, there's a lot of people that I am very impressed and want to be like them. And most of them are women scientists that I'm working. For example, Asterold is someone I'm looking up to. And the way she's uh, doing science and the way she's treating people. Because if I see a very good scientist and is treating people like shit, so... Oh, she, yeah, it can be both uh, mm-hmm. genders. And my PI uh, in Balbartal and Shamgar... I think they are very, very good people. Although, you know, sometimes you have hardship with your PIs. It's uh, never so bubbly and beautiful. But mm-hmm. in the end of the day, they care for me as a person. It's so that they're not like only a good scientist and smart. And sometimes she said, like, like, oh, my God, wow, she's so smart. How did she think about it? So I really like coming to her with problems and she gives me these amazing ideas. But also... How she treating me like a person? It's it's. I'm like I want to be like that. When I'm going to be someone, I don't know. And people are going to. I want to be a good person first, and then a good scientist second. So it's a good role model to look up to. Yes. Cool. All right. Then my last question is supposed to be the easiest one, and that is: <laughs> How do you relax after a hard day of work? Oh, okay. I know how to relax. I think I'm becoming an alcoholist because I'm drinking almost every day, but not a lot. Right. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes it's um, Netflix and chill with my husband. Sounds and sometimes good. we are doing hikes. Um, we really, really like to travel. And also I, I have different, you know, um, things with friends. Uh, it can be I, I like dancing. It's not happening much, but it can be once a month. And it's important for us to do um, sport activity. So it can be one of these options is uh, I go to swim. I'm swimming three times a week. Okay. Hiking with the dogs if it's not too late. Or just drinking in front of the TV. Right. All but I'm like good and relaxing. Option. Yeah, you have a few ways of doing it. A lot of yeah, variety. I, I can get a PhD with that. <laughs> if only, right? <laughs> yes, yes. All right, well, thank you so much again, Estherina, for making some time in your busy schedule with everything you do to chat with me today and to share your story. I also want to thank the audience for listening yet again. Don't forget to connect with us on social media, on YouTube, and also our website, because we'd love to hear from you. I understand what you were saying about uh, the volunteering and how it gives you these life-changing experiences. And I think that once you've volunteered, especially if it's with people, I guess, then it just tastes like more, right? It gives you this satisfactory feeling and you want to keep working and exploring more and meet more people and hear their stories. I've also done a bit of that. I've volunteered with Holocaust survivors with refugees in the Netherlands who back then came from Syria mostly and Eritrea and now again I'm trying to guide as much as I can some uh, people who came from Ukraine especially women yeah yeah, so I've also been going around a bit but now that I'm abroad it's it's much harder to to find a place Yeah, but but what I want to prove is that not only it's important to volunteer, it's good for your health, Mm -hmm. good for your immune system. This is my goal. I really would like to publish that volunteering helps you become stronger immune system, to have stronger immune system. I really hope it works out. If it can convince more people to to volunteer as well, that would be really cool. Yes, to think about other people rather than themselves. 